1: FS Insider, a premium edition of the Financial Sense News Hour. Today's host is senior editor Chris Sheridan.
2: Bitcoin has now surpassed the price of gold. Hackers are using Bitcoin for their own uses. And also, we are seeing an increasing use of adoption by companies in using Bitcoin. Uh, These are some of the things that we're going to discuss today and more with Trace Meyer. He's a leading monetary expert on Bitcoin. He's also an investor in core blockchain infrastructure technologies, including BitPay and Kraken. And he's also the host of the Bitcoin Knowledge podcast. If you want to know what's going on in Bitcoin, Trace is definitely one person you want to be following following. He has been bullish, and I would say one of the main proponents on Bitcoin years ago when it first started. But let's circle on to this idea now that Bitcoin has surpassed the price of gold. On the day that you and I are speaking, it's May 16th, Bitcoin is trading around $1,700, between seventeen dollars and $1,800. Gold is trading around $1,230. And when we spoke to you last time, I have to point this out, you were definitely bullish on Bitcoin, but uh, that was December 2016. It was just about five months ago, and Bitcoin was trading around $700. It's shot up ever since. So what's going on here? What are your thoughts You know, when you think about some of the psychological factors versus the fundamental factors that are driving Bitcoin higher?
3: Yeah, so the psychology is definitely fun because that's the first network effect, speculation. And when we look at Bitcoin, you know, what, what are these network effects? We've got speculation number one, merchants accept it because speculators hold it. Consumers use it because merchants accept it. Miners secure it because the block rewards worth money because of these previous demand use cases. Developers want to work on the, you know, want to work on the most secure, most valuable blockchain. So we get the money follows management. In this case, money follows the developers because the developers are the ones that are extensifying or building out the usefulness of the protocol. Currency is just one use of that protocol. Then we get financialization. We saw some decisions by the SEC regarding the ETF earlier this year. They denied the ETF saying that, you know, we didn't have regulated Bitcoin exchanges out there. So it's kind of a catch 22. But, you know, They left the door open, and a couple years from now, we'll probably see an ETF approved, at least based on the 40-page opinion that the SEC had given. And that that lays the groundwork for financialization, that six-network effect, where you get futures, options, swaps, derivatives. You start using it in sophisticated financial instruments. And then… Ultimately, you get the seventh network effect, which is the settlement currency. And that's where it really starts competing with gold and the U.S. dollar in terms of being a settlement currency that people want to settle all their financial transactions into. So those are our seven network effects that we're talking about. In terms of kind of some fundamentals and psychology, the previous big Bitcoin bubble where it ran to you know, $1,200 more or less in the end of 2013, we had maybe 300 to 500,000 users of Bitcoin worldwide. This time around, I would say that we have three to seven million users of Bitcoin. Uh it's I mean, it's kind of hard to know exactly how many we have. So how do we even come up with an intrinsic value or a fair market value for these cryptocurrencies? Ethereum overvalued or ripple? Or are they undervalued? I mean, how do we value these these things? You know, how do we value gold? It has no cash flows, right? And so these all go into the psychological aspects of of this new asset class of cryptocurrency. And it plays into that fundamental first primordial network effect of speculation. And now that we have Ethereum going up crazy and, uh, and, and Bitcoin's doing really well and it's becoming a store of value and we have all these initial coin offerings and we have tons of cryptocurrencies. Like it's just r- so ripe for speculation and we have so much new money coming in. And when everybody starts developing that human capital to be able to use and speculate in cryptocurrencies, and they start creating accounts at exchanges, and they're linking their bank accounts, and they're figuring out how to buy it and hold it, well, guess what? There's $12 trillion in U.S. bank accounts, U.S. dollar-denominated bank accounts, and that's not even counting like how many yen are in yen bank accounts. And a law was just passed April 1st making Japanese in Japan where they can now use Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies for legal payments and all types of stuff. And you're seeing huge adoption with a lot of the corporations over there. You know, all of this stuff, it takes network effects. It takes human capital. It takes learning and and understanding and how to use stuff. I mean, when email first came out, how many people knew how to send an email? How many people knew how to work a spreadsheet? You know, you had to build the protocols, then on top of the protocols, you had to build the user applications, and then on top of the user applications, you had to develop the human capital to actually be able to use the applications. And so that's what's happening in Bitcoin, and it's happening in a big way, and now there are millions of people who have the human capital to be able to buy this stuff and store it. And that's what I think is happening is… You know, it, it takes only just a little bit of money coming in from each of those people to become a huge amount of capital pouring into the space. It's a complicated question that you ask, but I think that that helps kind of get our arms around what's really happening.
2: Yeah, let's, let's take on one of the major criticisms first of Bitcoin, just to put things in context, because, you know, many gold bugs will say that's what's so nice about gold. It's physical. It's tangible. It's not a fiat currency, right? It's not something that's issued by a government that can be torn up, destroyed or deflated away. Gold has existed for thousands of years. And so you can, you know, you can hold it in your hand. You can pet it lovingly. You can do whatever you want with it. You can't do that with Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's just virtual. What would you say to that?
3: Well, first, you got to understand Bitcoin's math, right? And so you're dealing with a bunch of mathematicians and computer scientists. When we're dealing with math, where's the word tangible come from? The word tangible comes from the word tangent, which is a mathematical term that has to do with geometry. You, you take the tangent of an angle, right? So the, the whole word tangible and tangent has to do with a concept of reality, as opposed to imagination, right? So a purple dragon, that would be imagination. However, math, gold, coal, you know, physical, corporeal things, those are real, but we also have things that are real that are not corporeal, things like math. And so when I talk about tangibility, I'm talking about things that are real as opposed to things that are imaginary. And in Bitcoin's case, Bitcoin is made up out of rules that are based on math. And so gold, for example, is made up out of rules that are based on chemical law. In Bitcoin's case, it's made out of rules based on mathematical law. And Gold is limited in amount because of how those chemical laws work and function. And so likewise, Bitcoin is limited in amount by how those mathematical rules function. And so you have two assets that are limited in amount by their interior characteristics or their intrinsic characteristics as opposed to some other asset which is limited in amount by exterior Characteristics. For example, the US dollar is limited in amount not because of internal characteristics of the US dollar, but because of things like counterfeiting law, right? And so when we're looking at the word tangible, are we looking at things that are real versus imaginary, or do we want to take a subset of tangible things or real things and say that it only applies to corporeal tangible things? Right. Because because we can distinguish between corporeal and non corporeal things that are still real. And if somebody wants to argue that Bitcoin is not real or that Bitcoin is imaginary, well, we can set up cryptographic proofs and mathematical proofs just like we can set up chemical law proofs and chemical law and come up with theories and and scientific experiments. And, you know, we can use our senses to come to a justified true hypothesis or justified uh, knowledge about what is real in terms of chemical law. So likewise, we can do that with math and with Bitcoin. And so anybody who wants to make an argument that Bitcoin is not real, they're going to have a hard time because I think that it's very well established and agreed upon that numbers are real, you know, like the number one or the number five or or whatever. And so since numbers are real and since we have number theory and we have mathematics and all of these things like that stuff is real, even though it's not corporeal. But what this requires is this requires a greater ability to abstract with one's imagination, which is a higher order thinking process. Than just dealing only with the corporeal or the physical. And it's actually one of the things that distinguishes humans from uh, lower order life forms like orangutans or chimpanzees or dolphins or whatever is this ability to abstract.
2: Hmm. That's a very interesting explanation. I've, I've never heard that before. I think that's a unique take. And uh, my background is in mathematics. In some of my classes, I would say my upper division classes, it did feel at times that a lot of this was just uh, fictitious and imaginary <laughs> because it didn't make any sense at, at all. But when you're talking about encryption, cryptography, uh, number theory, all the things that go into really how our modern society functions with the internet and uh, securing data, uh, I mean, that's all that goes into uh, Bitcoin and really the unique technology underlying Bitcoin is is the ability to circumvent the double spend problem which I know was was a, an issue facing you know all digital currencies in the past Bitcoin circumvented that by being able to make it possible so that uh, you weren't Spending the same digital token twice. So that was a big deal in terms of monetary theory. And it's sort of taken off from there. There's a lot that goes into Bitcoin. Like you said, it's underpinned by math, but you know, I think that's really a good distinction you made between, you know, it's not imaginary. Imaginary is like a a purple dragon or whatever versus something that's mathematical. It's abstract, but it still has its basis in reality.
3: Yeah, well, and that's what tangible means is, is something that's real. Tangible doesn't necessarily mean something that's corporeal. And, you know, you might also appreciate this. What Bitcoin does is it creates a fact in terms of information theory, right? So so we're now able to have a fact in terms of information theory that we can then begin to establish trust and everything else from that fact, and so, you know, that's another big innovation. And it doesn't have to be digital. That's a common misconception. This proof of work and this blockchain technology, you could actually do it by hand. And with the confirmation in the blockchain, you have the debit and the credit, but that confirmation acts as a triple entry in terms of the bookkeeping. So we also get a huge advancement in terms of our accounting theory. You know, cause we developed double entry bookkeeping hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And then it led to the rise of accumulation of capital and the industrial revolution and all of these types of things. Triple entry bookkeeping is going to lead to a whole explosion in terms of innovation and security in how we're managing capital and allocating capital in our corporate governance and all these types of things. So it's a terribly exciting time to live. Lots of change, but lots of opportunity.
2: Okay. So double entry bookkeeping, like you said, that's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's obviously used in all accounting. But what is triple entry bookkeeping? That's something that I'm sure not many of us have heard before.
3: Yeah, so, you know, single entry bookkeeping, I have five apples, I add three apples, now I have eight apples. And the Sumerians and Phoenicians used that, right, like thousands of years ago. Then the Medici in, I think, like 1300, they came up with this concept of double-entry bookkeeping. So you have the debit and the credit, and you have T-accounts, and you have five apples, and you want to subtract three apples, then you have to have another, that three has to be accounted in another T-account somewhere else, and that way the books balance. Well, one of the problems with derivatives and our financial crisis and like all this stuff is that at the end of the day, like the books don't balance globally. And there's a myriad of reasons. Primarily, it's because people behave in the way in which they're majored and people get bonuses when they inflate the value of assets and they get bonuses when they take very low valuations on the liabilities. And yet one person's assets, another person's liability, but you're carrying them at different values on the books. And boom, now like all the banks are insolvent because they have too many derivatives that they've not valued properly. What the triple entry bookkeeping does is you have the debit and the credit in the ledger in the Bitcoin blockchain, and that's moving Bitcoins from one public key address to a different public key address, and these are called UTXOs, and so when you're moving a UTXO from one address to another – that becomes the debit and the credit but when it actually gets confirmed and placed into the blockchain and when it becomes a fact in terms of information theory that becomes the confirmation that it actually happened you know because we can do debits and credits all day long right but did did it actually happen which set of books actually happened with AIG or with Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or Bear Stearns or whoever right like which transactions actually happened well in bitcoins case, the only transactions that have happened are the ones that get into the blockchain and get confirmed. And that confirmation is that triple entry. So you have the debit and the credit, which is the double entry, which could be on your own books. But then the confirmation in the blockchain becomes the triple entry in terms of the bookkeeping. And then the Bitcoin blockchain is keeping a record of all those transactions that have actually happened and. Everybody can download that blockchain and can verify that those transactions actually took place. And when I say verify, they can literally verify it using mathematical law to cryptographically prove that those digital signatures all sum properly and correctly. And so it's a whole new way of creating trust of what actually has happened.
2: So it's almost like Bitcoin is now allowing this other revolution through a new type of accounting, triple entry bookkeeping. And and perhaps we don't quite understand the importance of that yet, but I'm guessing we probably are in the years and, and perhaps decades ahead. Let's shift gears here really quick, because I do want to get into something that I know that you you actually are pretty familiar with. And this goes back to some of the the faults of Bitcoin, if we want to call it. And that's with this hack that just took place last week. I think it started on Friday. It's the WannaCry ransomware attack. Uh, Tell us a little bit about how Bitcoin was involved in that and your thoughts on this problem.
3: Yeah. So with the ransomware issue, this is particularly problematic because what Bitcoin does is it it enables the hackers to monetize their nefarious behavior, (laughs) which is actually quite ironic because one of the criticisms about Bitcoin is, oh, it's not accepted by a government. And governments are backed by force. Well, in this case, the hackers are extorting people, you know, by encrypting their databases and demanding Bitcoin to be paid to them. So it's becoming uh, in a way like a de facto legal tender for the hacker nation, which is it'd be funny if it weren't so sad. And I actually went and gave a presentation to a bunch of chief information security officers for financial services companies and also healthcare companies. So hospitals in conjunction with the FBI about this ransomware cybersecurity threat. And my general kind of assessment to them was it's only going to get worse. And one of the reasons it's going to get worse is because of the network effects of Bitcoin. Remember, I talked about speculation, merchants, consumers. Those are the first three network effects. Well, in this case, the merchants are the hackers with the ransomware and the consumers are are the hospitals or the financial services companies or whoever's database gets encrypted. And those consumers have to go get Bitcoin because the merchants only accept Bitcoin, right? And so ironically, the ransomware is actually further entrenching Bitcoin's network effects and making it even more useful in terms of a protocol. And... It's also going to wipe away all the sand in terms of the cybersecurity, which means that our firms and our corporations are going to have to go back and rebuild their cybersecurity and their network security from first principles because Bitcoin has washed away the sand. And if they don't, they're going to be susceptible to having their databases encrypted by the ransomware. They're going to lose that data if they don't pay the extortion. And yet all of this increases Bitcoin's network effects in terms of making it more useful to both the merchants and the consumers. In this case, it's consumers who are using the currency not necessarily by their own free will and choice. are being extorted. But, hey, when we look at all the currencies throughout the world, whether it's the dollar or the euro or the Brazilian real or the yen – One of the major reasons that people use those currencies is because they're also being imposed upon against their will and without their consent because they have to use that stuff because it's legal tender to pay their taxes or when they receive court judgments or things of that nature. So it's interesting to see Bitcoin growing up and becoming more like the other settlement currencies out there worldwide, and I think the reason for that is because it is the most safe, the most secure form of payment that is out there.
2: Trace, I want to ask about some of the companies that accept Bitcoins now, because, you know, at first there wasn't any companies that that use Bitcoin. And then slowly, you know, you start to see some of these, you know, I would say more aggressive, more entrepreneurial players that would accept Bitcoin. Bitcoin was used as a, a acceptable payment for donations on certain websites. But it, it does seem that more and more companies are using Bitcoin around the globe. And there's a site I went to, it, it listed all the companies that currently accept Bitcoins. The list is too long to read over the air, but I mean, some of the big ones, they say WordPress, Overstock.com, Subway, apparently, they say accepts Bitcoins, Microsoft, uh, where you can buy content with Bitcoin on Xbox and on the Windows Store, Reddit, Virgin Galactic. That was one I remember definitely came through when Richard Branson had decided to go that direction. OkCupid, Namecheap, Expedia.com. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of different companies now. But what are some of the big developments that you see in terms of uh, companies accepting Bitcoin? And I mean, really, you're talking about the network effect. I imagine that you expect this to really just continue.
3: Yeah. I mean, that network effect is definitely uh, going full steam ahead. I'm a seed investor in BitPay, which is the largest merchant processor. Richard Branson is one of our investors. And so when he accepted Bitcoin for flights into space and stuff like that, he used BitPay to process those. BitPay has over 60,000, 80,000 something merchants. They're also making it extremely easy for merchants to accept Bitcoin, which helps with those network effects because you're lowering that barrier to entry to use it, right? And so they have tons of shopping cart plugins and, and other things like they're integrated with Shopify. And so anyone who has a Shopify shopping cart They can go create a BitPay account, get the API key, copy, paste it into their Shopify account, and boom, now they can accept Bitcoin. Easy as that. If they want to get direct deposited dollars into their bank account, just like as if it were a credit card settlement, they can choose that option, and then they never touch Bitcoin at all, and yet they're accepting it. So, you know, BitPay has made it very easy for merchants to accept it, which has increased that utility uh, and and whatnot. And then another point is this law that went into effect in Japan, April first it clears up the regulatory and legal landscape for large corporations to accept Bitcoin. And so we're seeing big players like Rakuten, the eighth largest internet site, they're accepting Bitcoin. SoftBank is very interested in Bitcoin and making big Bitcoin investments, tens of millions of dollars in different companies, Bitcoin related companies. So, you know, I think Japan might be our first real economy that's kind of adopting it at the large corporate level. And that's exciting.
2: You know, that's very interesting, because Japan seems to be the leader in a lot of different developments. I mean, if we think about the major bubble that we saw, and then in terms of launching quantitative easing, I believe they were the first to really launch that. Uh, um, so they're very innovative when it comes to the use of money. And then now in in terms of this innovative cryptocurrency with Bitcoin, and implementing that in their society as well. So perhaps they are going to be the leader in this. And you know, now it's just a matter of other countries following their lead.
3: Yeah. And I put out a tweet about how Bitcoin is a black hole on the world's balance sheet. And Japan might be the ones that really give it the economic gravity and mass, right? Or in other words, like let their star get sucked into that black hole. And what I mean by that is you'd mentioned quantitative easing. Well, Japan's already a deflationary economy. You look at the demographics and the birth rates, you look at the interest rate on the yen, and now you've got this legal uncertainty taken care of, And so you've got a lot. There's actually a major Japanese company, Forex company, that is now letting people trade Bitcoin. Well, what happens there? You get to have a yen Bitcoin carry trade. So you borrow yen at 0% interest rate and buy Bitcoin, and yens are not limited in amount, and Bitcoins are. And the Bank of Japan actively wants to devalue the yen to make their exports competitive. And yet you have this big speculative culture in Japan, you know, where they like to buy gold and other things. And if you look at gold relative to the yen, I mean, it's done very well. And yet Bitcoin has even much more explosive upside potential in terms of the speculation. And so I think this could get really crazy with a yen Bitcoin carry trade because how many trillions of dollars of value are in the Japanese yen and yet it's official Japanese yen central bank policy to devalue That those trillions of dollars were the value in the yen. (laughs) So why would you want to hold yen (laughs) when you could hold Bitcoin?
2: Bitcoin seems to be in a massive parabolic phase, and so it's a a very interesting development, not just in terms of the price, but also as a technology and as it applies to monetary theory. And and like you mentioned, uh, there are some major events that could take shape, including the yen and what we see with Japan and elsewhere with the wide adoption by more and more companies of. So lots of interesting things that we got into today.
3: Well, we want to talk a little bit about this potential price action movement. I I guess we got very philosophical, but I don't think people understand just how explosive this can get. Bitcoin, because it is a technology that's being adopted, it might be better to look at a log chart instead of just the regular price chart. And in terms of the log chart, if you go about mid-2011 to the present... Based on the log and you figure out the slope of the curve, you're looking at Bitcoin adding 0.3% per day to the price. That's the chart, right? And people don't really understand how this exponential growth kind of works. But, I mean, 2020, we could be looking at $10,000, $20,000 Bitcoin pretty easily. In fact, when I wrote my article back in 2015, $600 Bitcoin, I I threw out a $3,000 price target. And I also, you know, I also talked about the three thousand dollar price target with Jeff Berwick on one on an interview with him, and sure enough, here we are. We're halfway there right now at seventeen fifty, and yet we've seen what a over six hundred percent increase since I originally wrote the article. So Bitcoin really requires a lot of creativity and how you look at it and how you play it. And one of the best ways to play it is just to buy it and put it in cold storage and and hodl it is kind of our term in the industry. <laughs> and you seem to do very well just hodling your Bitcoin, not trying to trade it, not trying to move in and out of different altcoins, just buying and hodling. Seems to be a very good <laughs> prescription for dealing with it. You know, I mean, I, I like to play and experiment with the other stuff, but I think that that's Good, solid advice, like figure out how to properly secure it, hold your own keys and then, you know, acquire some on a dollar cost average basis.
2: I'm going to have a link out to the chart that you referenced where you show the, the price of Bitcoin through a, a log chart, because I, I think that is pretty fascinating when you look at it from that perspective. And we actually just spoke to an individual by the name of DDA Sornet talking about the bubbles and uh, this log periodic growth. So that fits into that. And we can see, you know, Bitcoin's moves have seen faster than exponential growth. We saw that actually in... Uh, I think it was in 2013 into 2014 before it peaked out. That's where it went from the lower part of that log band that you show to the upper band. That was definitely hyperbolic, faster than exponential growth. Now it's coming back down and riding that lower band, but it's still within uh, what we could refer to as, as logarithmic growth. And so that's pretty fascinating when you think about it in terms of uh, price projections.
3: Yeah, and also keep in mind, I have called in advance every single – publicly, every single Bitcoin bubble in advance, right? And so whether it was $0.25 and ran to $32, whether it was the bottom $2, ran to $266, or whether – it was the 60 to $100 range that ran to $1,200 and into 2013, or whether it was this one where you know I wrote the article in December 2015 and it's run. And part of this is because of the nature of the supply-demand components of Bitcoin. Supply is fixed and known in advance to all market participants. So then we just have demand. We have two different components. One is transactional demand. The other is speculative demand. We've talked about a little bit about the transactional demand in terms of the transaction fees that people are paying, which I think helps us establish a floor or a max, like a minimum price for Bitcoin, but it also helps us look at potentially the elasticity of demand. Now, when we're looking at the price elasticity of demand for the speculative demand component or the the transactional demand component, we should keep in mind that the transactional demand component, the price elasticity is actually irrelevant. It doesn't matter whether it's $5 or $10,000. People are still going to demand it. And remember, prices are set at the edges. So this, this adds a very odd behavior because it acts like a Giffen good or, or a Veblen good. And it, meaning that as the price goes up, people actually demand more of it. And part of that, I think, has to do with just human psychology and then the speculative demand component. Everybody loves to chase the rabbit, right? And like a true free market, it's like a dog on LSD or a dog, on, a ferret on meth. I mean, it's just, crazy. And part of the problem that we have with our current markets, especially after 1987 with Greenspan, is that they have tried to Mises talks about this in Human Action an evenly rotating economy they're trying to take out the volatility and, and create this evenly rotating economy but really all that does is act as a price control that they're doing through economic censorship of the interest rates through the gold price suppression scheme a lot of GATA's work legal tender laws all of this stuff and the market's been dealing with this for you know 100 years and 120 years at least and when the price Pricing mechanism breaks out of this economic censorship. And if Bitcoin enables that to happen because Bitcoin's a censorship resistant tool, right, they could shut down Napster because it was centralized. They couldn't shut down BitTorrent. Because it's decentralized peer-to-peer network. And Bram Cohen, who invented BitTorrent, is working full-time on Bitcoin now because it's the highest mountain to climb. It's so much fun. You know, that's the fifth network affected developers. Like, literally, all the legends who have built the internet, who have liberated press censorship, all these forms of censorship that the internet has eliminated. Well, now we have a tool to eliminate economic censorship with Bitcoin, which if that happens and we're able to liberate the pricing mechanism for the price of money through interest rates, uh, I mean, it's just crazy. Like we have no idea how to price stuff because of these price controls on the price of money, you know, negative interest rate policy, zero interest rate policy, quantitative easing. We have no idea how to price stuff and how to value stuff and, and everything. Humanity is flying around in the clouds. And they don't even have a constant for gravity. I mean, it's really crazy when you think about it. And yet Bitcoin offers a potential solution to this intractable problem, a solution that gold can't offer because gold is not extensible. Gold is not based on math. It's based on chemistry, right? And so even if we wanted to use gold – To fix this problem, we would still have to figure out a way to transfer that data or information over a communications channel in order to engage in the price discovery for our worldwide economy. Well, guess what? Bitcoin is that commodity that enables you to transfer value cryptographically securely over a communications channel. In effect, we've reduced value – to data. And that's a huge innovation, which if it can remain censorship resistant, and even if it's not Bitcoin, it'll probably be some other cryptocurrency, you know, because now that we've created one, we have this whole new kingdom of of animals that are going to get created or organisms. And so like we're in uncharted territories. And I think that the state being able to continue to enforce the peg of economic censorship on prices and especially on the price of money and interest rates, I think that that is going to fail. And in fact, when we look at all of human history, whenever states have tried to engage in that, it has always failed to market forces. And now Bitcoin enables the market to overcome that particular price control. So it's going to be fascinating to watch how this plays out. (laughs) Absolutely fascinating.
2: So if I got this right, Bitcoin is the new gold in a digital society, and it's also the main beneficiary of a government-manipulated price system. It sounds like that would be the two key takeaways from what you just said.
3: Yeah. So gold was limited in amount commodity money by chemical law, right? And that was great. And then we came up with fiat currency. It was not limited in amount, but it was extensible. So, when we came up with new information technologies like the telephone or wire, you know, or the telegraph, you know, that's where wire transfer came from. You would send money over the wire, and that's how Wells Fargo got its start, you know, and all this stuff. It's because fiat currency could be extensible, whereas gold wasn't. And so, fiat currency, because it was extensible and because it also, you could have seniorage that would benefit the politicians in the state, it was able to outcompete gold. Well, Bitcoin is both limited in amount, like gold, but also extensible, like fiat currency. So it should follow that Bitcoin will be able to outcompete both of those because it has the best characteristics of both, and it doesn't have the cons that each have. Gold not being extensible, fiat currency not being limited in amount. Bitcoin has all the pros, none of the cons. So, yeah, I mean, it's both the gold and the transmission system in the information age, which is a huge innovation.
2: Trace, you made a lot of really interesting points today. And if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you to contact you, to ask you questions or to uh, uh, give you feedback on anything you said today, what would be the best way to do that?
3: Twitter and then my Bitcoin knowledge podcast. And then I also uh, have a site where people can like record questions and and it gets uploaded to me. Uh, I think it's on my about page on tracemayor.net. So the podcast is at Bitcoin.kn and you know, that's how people can do it. Glad to help. Trace, it was a pleasure having you
2: on once again. We look forward to speaking to you in the future and all the best to you and the things that you're involved in once again with Kraken and BitPay and also on the Bitcoin knowledge
3: podcast. Yeah, great to be here, Chris. Thanks for uh, having me.
2: So once again, a very fun and thought-provoking conversation with Trace Mayer at Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. And uh, as I said in the beginning, you know he has been discussing Bitcoin for many years now, um, really going back to its beginning, its inception. I would say when it was you know trading around a, a nickel or a quarter. So he has been a big player in Bitcoin for quite some time. He does think that the prospects for Bitcoin are quite strong. It has surpassed the price of gold. He does not see that as an arbitrary thing. But when you look at the networking effects, the fact that, um, you know, there is a growing and long list of companies that are accepting Bitcoin, and also the fact, you know, from a more philosophical perspective, that in a digital society where you have to send payments online and it conduct transactions, both fiat currencies and gold have limitations. Whereas Bitcoin, it is fixed in supply, which is the thing about gold that makes it perhaps valuable, and given some of its durability characteristics, so it satisfies that end, as he said. And then also it outcompetes fiat money because it is extensible. You can transmit it. You can send it. And so it's the best of both worlds. And so in his mind, he really thinks that Bitcoin is, like I said at the end, the the new gold in a digital society and really a huge beneficiary of government manipulated interest rates or prices and all of the things of that nature. It's going to be the main beneficiary. And the more those things take place, the more he thinks it's going to go up in price. Now, I do want to give a disclaimer here because Bitcoin does go through some very strong parabolic movements, as we saw in 2013, when it shot up to new all-time highs and then it crashed, consolidated. Now it's making this second move upward. We have no clue about how high it could go, when it could turn or crash. Making predictions of that nature is just too difficult. And as Trace wrote in 2015 with his article, The Rise of the Fourth Great Bitcoin Bubble, he saw, that we were going to see Bitcoin move parabolically. We did indeed see that happened. But again, you know, it can have these bubble phases where it just moves far higher than anyone anticipates. But with that said, it can also move very strongly to the downside. So if you're considering investing in Bitcoin, just keep that in mind. It is a very volatile cryptocurrency. There are risks involved. When it comes to you, our listeners, if you have any feedback or suggestions for guests or topics that you would like us to discuss on FS Insider regarding Bitcoin or otherwise, send me an email at chris, C-R-I-S, at financialsense.com. I love to get feedback from you guys in terms of the topics that we're discussing and getting your thoughts on it. I know many of you have been listening for years and really do take an interest in Bitcoin and some of the technological trends we see with financial technology when we're talking about blockchain, the engine that runs Bitcoin or other developments in that arena. So definitely send me your feedback if this is something that you don't want to hear about, and you think Bitcoin is going to collapse, and you have a, a pretty good reason why, tell me about it. I'm Chris Sheridan. You're listening to FS Insider at FinancialSense.com.
1: You can subscribe to Financial Sense News Hour in the iTunes and BlackBerry podcast libraries or at feeds.feedburner.com FSM find more information about our guests at www.financialsense.com/newshour. friend us at wwwfacebookcom online. for our on-the-go listeners, you can access financial sense on your mobile device at m.financialsense.com. The Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the news hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of James Poplava and do not take into account listeners' suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any company's profiled on or advertising with Financial Sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour. Be advised that you invest at your own risk.
0: Be sure to get a copy of the Free Bitcoin Guide at FreebitcoinGuide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at Bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share Bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise, spam the interwebs. Your iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.